It is a dimension as vast as space, and as timeless as infinity. Adam Rackle and Becky Diana will enter a podcast from another dimension. Some might find it to be a dimension of imagination. It is an area in which we call the film universe. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Film Universe. I'm your host Ian Vega and joining me are two special guests. One of them is returning to the show and the other is new to the show. I'd like to um, welcome both Adam Rakoff and Becky Diana. Great to have both of you here on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to have both of you like together on the show because like I've been trying to get uh, like more people on the show and I'm like I should get I mean these guys are really cool so I wanted to get <laughs> both of them. Um, we don't associate so, ourselves with coolness, but thanks. <laughs> I think yeah, this, so, if you say yeah, so. Yeah, I think Adam yeah. and I the last podcast we've been on together was a Twilight Zone episode, huh? In October for Wrong Room. Yeah, that, yeah. So that's, oh, now it was, it's like all yeah. we talk about is Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we can't help ourselves. Yeah, the, uh, that's actually how I met uh, Becky because there was an episode of James's podcast, and I wanted to see it because it was like Twilight Zone. And before that episode, like I didn't have no knowledge of the Twilight Zone. I've like, had references here and there, but like um, that episode actually got me into the show. So it was just like when I was um, listening to the podcast. I remember I sent Becky a message because she you mentioned a book about the Twilight Zone and I I actually uh, recently got it so that's how I got it I've actually met Adam through <laughs> Twitter because um, he was posting an event for Bill Clinton for his um, for the SVA theater mm-hmm. for Rengens which will be um, a topic me and Adam will one day cover on the show but yeah I'm happy to have both of you here you're like the two of you are like the most hardcore Twilight Zone fans I've ever met. Like, <laughs> like I got into the show because of the two of you, and the show is like so long, but it's like so good because there's so many episodes for per season. Yeah. And I was like, I got to see the movie, and I was actually surprised about the movie, not because it was like short; it was like an hour and forty five minutes, but like to think like okay the twilight zone is about like multi-stories and the fact that they would even pitch the idea of having a movie was really great so before watching i was like okay is it going to focus on one story or is it going to be multiple Mm -hmm. thankfully it was multiple but it was really good actually so yeah so what what did you two think of the movie or like how did you first of all let's talk about like how did both of you get into the twilight zone (laughs) <laughs> like what what got what made you be like you know what yeah I should should watch this show yeah well i i saw it's funny i saw the movie before i saw i got into the tv series i believe cuz i saw the movie when i was 6 years old um, yeah. opening night at the National Theater in Westwood um, because my parents didn't really hire babysitters when I was a kid. They just pretty much took me to whatever they were doing and they just were movie junkies so they just took me to all their movies that they w- went and saw. So they took me, uh, took my sister and I to to a bunch of films. So I saw probably a lot of movies earlier than I should have but I think I turned out okay. So I'm a big fan of not censoring <laughs> what kids see. Although we'll see if that's really the case with my daughter. Do- 
<laughs> with my own daughter who's four. Um, but it, yeah, I saw it opening night um, when I was six years old and the opening prologue, which we can get into um, with Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd, when he says, want to see something really scary. I, cl- oh, I, I freaked yeah. out and I put my hands over my eyes and I didn't know what I was going <laughs> to see. And I think only later I actually saw what happened because I think I, maybe I saw it on home video later. But I think a yeah. few years later... Um, my we, there's just every uh, Thanksgiving in California there was mm-hmm. a uh, marathon of Twilight Zone episodes and so it just I, I would always watch a marathon with my family and then they always had reruns on TV and so I just got hooked my father's a huge science fiction fan so I've been watching <laughs> them since I was probably seven or eight um, just my yeah. whole life and um, and Adam and I had, were, had talked before, but we were fans. And when we did the Wrong Real episode, uh, Jamie hadn't seen any. Um, he had only seen like a handful at, up to that point. Really? So, so he it was sort of fun for him to like we Adam and I like picked our, our each our top five episodes so that just to give him a basis of ten to watch, and then yeah. um, and then also recommended others. And it was just fun to take a deep dive. And um, I don't I, I'm sure there are a lot more people out there who are way hard more hardcore Twilight Zone fans than. Than, than me or they're in the twilight um, zone right now yeah. <laughs> but i uh i've just been a fan since i was a kid so um mm-hmm. yeah oh wow yes uh same here i was uh instead of thanksgiving for us it was a new year new year's eve tradition to watch uh it was wpix channel 11 uh that was broadcasting out of new york that would show um, 24 hours nonstop Twilight Zone episodes. Oh, wow. This was in the kind of late late 80s, early 90s, and I would you know, stay up as late as I could. Uh, usually, we would be visiting with some family friends, so my friend who uh, was my age uh, would usually sleep in my room, yeah. and we would just kind of stay up all night. We had I had a little tiny, I don't know, it was probably like a four-inch portable television black and white that I had in my room growing up that we would, you know, had a little uh, antenna that would stick up and uh, I would sit watching these old black and white Twilight Zone episodes on this little tiny portable television until 3, 4 in the morning until we would fall asleep. <laughs> that's hard, that's and, dedication uh, right there. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I was probably 11, 12, 13 or something in that time. That was probably the age range where I, I first started discovering them but obviously even with 24 hours non-stop that's only a fraction of the total episodes that would that were that were produced and yeah. aired back in the 60s these are just sort of the 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 most popular or most famous episodes so in a way it was nice because i was getting to see the cream of the crop i was getting to see the ones that had sort of withstood the test of time uh but obviously as i got older i would go back and revisit more of the uh, episodes, the lesser-known episodes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, for the film, the Twilight Zone movie, which was released in 1983, I actually didn't see this until it aired on television as well. Probably around the same time, the early 90s, I would say. Once I saw the uh, some of the the episodes on these New Year's Eve marathons, I I discovered the film. Uh, so for me, I actually had already seen, in, in essence, I had already seen three of the segments from the movie because three of those of the segments from the film, from the Twilight Zone movie, were based upon or re- were essentially reimaginings of a classic episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, in that sense, it kind of 
it, it surprised me because like, I sort of said to myself, I, "What? wait, I've seen this. I know how this ends. Yeah. And that was kind of frustrating in a, in a sense because I didn't know that's what it was. Obviously, later in life, I understood that these were sort of these genre directors attempting to sort of put their spin on a classic episode. But um, at the time, I, I felt a little let down because I was hoping for for original, new original stories to be told. Yeah. Um, this again, this is when I was a, you know maybe 13 years mm-hmm. old. Um, but since then, I've revisited the film and the series many times, as I did again last night. I rewatched the film, and I have a different appreciation for it now than I did originally. Um, some things I still feel work really well, and other things I think really uh, don't don't hold up quite as well yeah. as I as I um, wish they you know they they mm-hmm. did. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those movies though that at least because it's an anthology film, it's made up of essentially four, well, really six segments if you count the prologue and epilogue. Yeah. There's really six kind of distinct uh, segments to the film. Um, but I think that was sort of a, an interesting choice that they basically chose to make one. The first segment is the only original segment, the only new story, mm-hmm. and then the 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 three subsequent segments are all sort of remakes of of classic episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always wondered what the thought process was there because I think a lot of people who were fans of the Twilight Zone would have loved to have seen you know, an original story by Steven Spielberg, you yeah. know, like what would his Twilight Zone, you know, uh, episode be that he had in his head or, or you know, what would, you know, uh, Joe Dante come up with and if he had a chance to write and direct his own episode. So that's just something that I'm sure we'll get into more, but I just think it's interesting that they chose to predominantly recreate episodes and again they're very different in, in many respects mm-hmm. they're the uh the episodes that were remade i think are unique visions but in the end they both they they essentially have the same twist yeah uh to the original episode. yeah and i think there was talk at some so. point about having the um some of the actors Sorry, if you can hear that beep, I'm really sorry. I don't know if you can hear it or not, no, but fine. my yeah. uh, fire alarm uh, battery went out last night and it was like I was in the twilight zone and we fixed it. <laughs> and um, now apparently another fire alarm uh, battery is out and I am not tall enough to fix it. So I'm really sorry if you hear periodic beeps. Oh no, I, I'm the same it's way her- too. I have to like get a chair to like take it down. Yeah, I don't, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening right now. So I apologize. But um, <laughs> there's a, I, and I don't even know how that, ear, it was ear piercing last night so i can't really hear it i'm hopefully it's not ruining your podcast um but we could just make it atmospheric um but uh yeah i think they originally had talked about maybe having some actors like be in the same um set the different segments or just carrying along some sort of thematic throughout throughout all of them um but i think they decided to do these four separate stories what i think is interesting is the first story which is the original story i mean if we're not counting the prologue I feel like now I feel like if it was shot if this film because of the helicopter accident and because of um, the uh, deaths that happened in the in the um, in the beginning um, because of I, I just feel like in this time I feel like they may not have even showed that footage and I mean not the footage where there's actually people die but I just feel like maybe they would have shot a different story I don't know if that's true or not if they would um, I've never even heard of oh that you haven't. Oh, like that story? No. Yeah. I, I, 
So, uh, I mean, I don't know how to do. Should we talk about this, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. mean, yeah, it's it's pretty relevant, yeah. I think, to the the kind of in a way, it's 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 the first of two really tragic events that occurred surrounding Steven Spielberg produced movies in the early '90s. This was the first, and then of course, Poltergeist had. Oh yeah, you know, Poltergeist. The tragic heard was the death most of. So anyway, but yeah, Becky, if you want to <laughs> share uh, yeah, the, so, yeah, the tale. Well, essentially, so like the story of the, the film is um, it's sort of it's called um, The Bigot. Well, it was, actually, it was it's Time Out, but originally it was titled The Bigot. They they uh, renamed it Time Out. But um, the they John Landis directed it. And it's essentially about a man who is um, he's he starts off going. He, he, he got uh missed out on a promotion because somebody who was actually more experienced you find out got this promotion but he was jewish so he goes to see his friends oh, in a yeah. bar and he's just really very racist and um some african-americans yeah. overhear him and he's just so he ends up getting just um walking out of the bar and then um and then he's into and then um he's in occupied france um and there's there are nazis there and so he expo he's he's ended up being exposed to several um racist area uh times yeah. in our in the history of the country so nazis, the nazis um alabama over the ku klux klan yeah and so originally um that well the, how the segment ends is he gets on a train and mm-hmm. um it's being sent off to concentration camps and then he looks out the window and he sees his friends coming out of the bar in in the 50s or, or in the time that this was taking place not in the 50s i'm not sure when this when yeah, this, this set. Like it was during the 80s, 80s probably like, yeah. yeah so um that's sort of how it ends but originally how it ends is he gets redeemed and he in vietnam he saves these two vietnamese children um who are being held captive and he says yeah. don't worry nothing is going to happen to you and he takes these kids and and he flees with them um but um a helicopter um there was just a there's a lot of issues what happened but these pyrotechnics went off and um because there was explosions it was like a war um scene and um the helicopter got i think something happened with the fireball and maybe adam knows better but the the um helicopter blade um ended up killing um uh, falling and crushing the um the main actor um oh yeah <laughs> yeah vic morrow yeah, not, which i don't know why i'm just slapped but it was just out of just horrificness uh, so vic morrow the main it, character died at um filming this scene and the two beaten um two children who um uh who were in the film and the helicopter crushed them and and unfortunately and he and the little boy were decapitated and the little girl was crushed by the helicopter so there was all these um they were they brought to court and uh they were charged with like uh manslaughter or whatever and uh but it all came i think that they in the end nobody got tried for it but it was just a really horrific thing and then they so they ended up just not shooting i mean obviously they took that part of the story out of it yeah. Uh, but um, Adam, do you want to provide more color? Any more colored? Uh, I, I, I mean, the only thing I would add is that they they had three cameras filming this scene because it was a big, yeah. you know, set piece with all of these, as Becky mentioned, pyrotechnics explosions of this village, with the actors kind of running uh, out of the uh, out of the village as it was getting destroyed, and uh, they had three cameras shooting it, so three different angles they have of these of these poor children and this actor getting killed That's it's horrible. on film all of it but it's never been seen yeah. obviously um because 
it's a gruesome, but also because you know no, they don't want that getting out, obviously. Yeah. So they essentially, as Becky said, had to kind of rewrite the ending at the last minute, yeah. change it up. It obviously was devastating, not just for those involved, but for you know uh, the, the the family members mm-hmm. and everybody. Yeah. It, I think John Landis. I think it really was very difficult for him. It didn't even go to trial until I think 1987. So that's how many years he was dealing with this and kind of not knowing, kind of having the uncertainty of like what happened. The other big thing that that, that the other, I guess, sort of controversial issue was that the two small children were there mm-hmm. illegally uh, at the time, and I think still today you can't have child actors working at, night. at nighttime without. And and even even if they were, I think they ha- they would have to have supervision from like a tutor and from some sort of some sort of type of caregiver. Yeah. And so that was one issue. Yeah. They were they weren't allowed to be working then, and they lied about that. And they lied to the fire marshal, I believe, about the, the the type of danger that the actors would be in. So there was a lot of sort of weird issues that ultimately John Landis had to take responsibility for as the as the director. But as Becky said, I don't think anyone actually ended up going to prison or getting any kind of um, uh, any kind of conviction. It was deemed that it was just a horrible accident. Yeah. Yes, things mistakes were made. Yes, people should have communicated better. Yes. They uh, they broke some some SAG rules, but in the end, it didn't cause the accident. It was just a tragic accident, yeah. and uh, things like this do happen from time to time on sets, and uh, they do everything possible to to prevent them. But sometimes things are beyond their control. I think the main issue might have been winds at the time. Winds and the the helicopter was hovering too low to where the explosions were going mm-hmm. and they weren't communicating properly so they set off two explosions at once which sort of ignited a fireball mm-hmm. and caused one of the road rotors to sort of uh, uh, get damaged and which then caused it to crash sort of on crash them, down yeah. into the, the actors. Yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy through. story. But I mean, what yeah. the g- one good thing that came out of it was that the, with a, there's just been all these safety laws and um, uh, come out of filming on the set now and there's people who are actually there and and that uh to make sure that that uh, there's the safety is as best as it can be um there's people yeah. whose whole job is it to be on a set and make sure uh, everyone's following the right protocols and there are still accidents on sets um, that still happen today but um things are a lot tougher than they ever were because of that and i think the parents of the kids um they did settle out of court for like an undisclosed amount for um for what happened to their kids. It's just really, really tragic. But I feel like if it happened now, they probably wouldn't even, I feel like they would have just filmed a different segment of that story and not shown part oh, of it. Yeah, but I don't know, would. maybe they wouldn't. They, um, yeah, it's actually very unfortunate that accidents do happen in films. I think the most recent one happened when they were um, creating the sequel for the new Deadpool movie. One of the actors had a was in a motorcycle accident and caused him to, he crashed into a building that they were going to shoot on from what I've heard and it just caused them to die which was very unfortunate but yeah. it it does happen sometimes and now it's just more strict because and it's actually good that you know the film industry has more strictness to like making sure that everyone's safe which is good because back then I, I will happen a lot but it's actually really good and I was not even aware that that incident happened during the first 
like story that we see in the Twilight Zone besides yeah and they changed the ending because of it um but uh but yeah and it's all which I don't yeah Oh, no, no, I, I was going to say, I don't think it really would have improved that segment that much, mm. that he would have been redeemed or not. Yeah. I think ultimately it's a pretty predictable segment. Like, you, as soon as you see that he's a racist yeah. and a bigot and that he he's is transported it, yeah. to these other places, I feel like, yeah, I, I get it. You know, he's getting yeah. a taste of his own medicine. Crazy, he's going to... Yeah, crazy thing about yeah. it is that it's funny that you mentioned it because when I was first watching the movie, I'm like, okay, we have a racist asshole in a bar and... Um, as soon as he like uh, went to like um, concentrated par- um occupied France, not yes, thank you. Um, he was being like, you know, tossed aside by like Nazis, and I'm thinking, okay, the next one has to be KKK, and it happened. And throughout the whole story, I'm thinking, okay, he's being he started off as a racist asshole, right? But there's gonna and that he's gonna re- be redeemed for something, and it's funny that you mentioned that. Because the original ending was supposed to be for him to be redeemed, but it had this feel, this type of pattern, really, throughout the segment of, like, it's him facing his own medicine, having a taste of his own medicine of, like, okay, you're going to be a racist asshole, so we're going to throw you into, like, these time, these segments where these events, unfortunately, happen to this certain group of people. So, it, it was it was giving me a feel like, okay, this is a redemption story. But the ending was actually a good twist for me personally because it made sense for him to like go on a train headed to the concentration camp where his friends don't see him and he's screaming he's crying he's got blood in his hands because he got shot yeah but it was um it made sense and then i had to pause the movie and i had to think about it of like what would have happened if he tried to have redeemed himself like i thought okay is he gonna go inside the bar and to the people who heard him being racist, like, is he going to apologize or anything? But no, he just go- goes to the train and that's it while it rains. So really, it w- it's actually surprising that the original ending was supposed to, f- um, was for him to be redeemed. And since they cut it off due to the tragic incident, they went for this one where he doesn't get redeemed and he's just sent to the uh, concentration camp. So it's kind of funny that my own I, my own thought of like this is a redemption story was actually supposed to be the original ending for it yeah it's a, it was an well, effective they, ending yeah. though you're right the, the him going off it was it was definitely dark ending of him going and seeing his friends and not being able to, to say anything to them it, it worked in the mm-hmm. twilight zone um, no yeah yeah and in many respects i find i found that that this this ending the act the ending that was released is a little more in you know, in sync with the tone of the original series yeah. where a character would, it would have a dark mm-hmm. ending. It would yeah. have sort of like he's forced to live the rest of his life in a concentration camp, you know, because of the, the, the way, the error of his ways. Whereas the redemption story, although it has a nice, happier ending, uh, that wasn't always the case with the, the episodes. Oftentimes, the endings had a, had a twist, but it was usually a dark twist. Yeah, I think a lot of my um, favorite episodes are the have the dark twists at the end. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So the, what, that's the best thing about it, and a lot of filmmakers will probably agree on this: that having a twist ending is so good to have in a film because a lot of people, the audience, would assume that these events are going to happen, but then when you take like a left turn while you pointing all the way to the to go straight, it's just like it blows everyone off so twist endings are actually good and one of the twist endings that just came to my mind was an episode of twilight zone where 
we have the story of the woman going to the mall and then realizing that she's a mannequin. Oh, I love that one. Which, yeah, <laughs> that one was, that one caught me on guard. And actually, I remember when first watching the show, I would message Becky. I'm like, I got these amount of episodes right because for me I've always liked to be like predictable on it like okay let's see if I get this right or if it's wrong so I don't I'm just that way really but um yeah that twist ending for the film though was actually really good like it's great yeah it's um, interesting how the main the you know the main character in that story I mean it drives so tragically it's really sad he's actually uh, interestingly enough he's Jennifer Jason Lee's father Really? Which I, I, I never really knew until I did some research on this ep- for this episode. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. But they were estranged. I think she was about 20 when this happened, and he was 53. Mm-hmm. So, But they weren't. I mean, he wasn't. She didn't really grow up like him raising her. But it's still it's really yeah. sad still. Yeah. Let me ask the both of you. What did you think of the opening of the film where we have the two people driving in the car, and they're just blasting music together? I was laughing so hard because of that because it reminded me of a friend who I was in his car one day um, we were just we were heading somewhere in New York um, I don't remember it was like years ago and he's just like blasting his music and it's a song that me and him knew so much so it kind of reminded me of that moment really Ah, yeah I, the <laughs> the opening I absolutely love the opening I think that opening might be my favorite of all the segments in the film and it's so short <laughs> just yeah. I, also because I'm biased a little Albert Brooks is like my favorite actor um, ever he, he's, he's one of my favorite directors but he's my favorite actor and um, yeah. I just adore him and so and then he's so funny with Dan Aykroyd and I love when they're singing to the uh, you know CCR and it's just it's, yeah, it's, a, it's just a great little scene and also because it just I, like I said I still vividly remember being six and he said want to see something really scary and it is pretty creepy but I, I literally didn't see what he saw until later because I was so scared when I was six years old I covered my eyes so um, and I also yeah. like how they talk about Twilight Zones and like their favorite episodes and yeah that was weird yeah it was so weird because it's like okay, it's almost like um when some films or TV shows they're like oh like they they say anything really and they're like oh this reminds me of the of the episode of this while they're in the show and for a show to be like all like dark twisted and but also like and the endings all like basically fuck you over it's just like it's kind of breaking the fourth wall really so it's just like because when they mention Twilight Zone I'm like am, am I watching the right movie <laughs> I was like, did I just put in like some like any '80s movie that just mentioned Twilight Zone? I would, and it actually—that's the beginning segment. It took me a while to realize. Okay, now I'm watching a Twilight Zone movie because we have the the part, where, the ending of the segment. Where he's like, hey, you want to see something really scary? So I'm just like, oh yeah, this is Twilight Zone, <laughs> and it's—I don't want to take a shot on the the makeup department, but like seeing where he turns and you see like this almost a like werewolf type of creature i didn't think of it as like a werewolf for some reason i thought it was like beast man from like x-men i don't know why really because it based on the lighting was like very blue so it's just like did he just get attacked by beast man from (laughs) x-men i never really saw it as a werewolf i just thought it was like a weird creature but i I don't know what did you think of it adam yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the opening. I'm actually a, a, like you, a, a huge fan of of this. Uh, if you know this prologue, it, it just to me it speaks to so many people who've ever been on a a road trip or a late night drive where you're alone on a dark road and you're just trying to kill the time. Yeah. Telling stories 
and trying to think of something to, to talk about. I always wondered if these two knew each other or if he was a hitchhiker. It sort of seems like... Oh, I never like thought of it that they didn't know each other. That's a really cool way to think yeah, about that it. Maybe, yeah, they even, in, the, in the credits, they're referred to as the driver and yeah. the passenger, so I, that, it, yeah, it's not, it, it isn't clear. Um, but it also doesn't seem like at times that they really know each other that well. Yeah. So it made me kind of think about the backstory a little bit. But I think that it's it's super strong because... It, it just resonates with all of us. We, it, they, it has that sort of meta uh, feel to it because it is self-referential. And it talks about the outer... I love the moment when they talk about, you know, oh, that, that, that's an outer limits. No, that's a zone. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, that's a great debate that a lot of people have, <laughs> right. too, because they don't always remember growing up what they were watching, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially if it, if it was late at night. You know, they were, they were watching an episode, and they, they were very similar shows in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, it can be easy to get ideas from one confused with the other, but um, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great segment. It's funny. It's it, it obviously has that nice little scary twist at the end. The, my only criticism criticism of it is I I wanted more. I, I felt that this could have been um, an even stronger piece yeah. if it wasn't a, a prologue, but if it was in fact a whole twenty or twenty five minute you know, road trip segment uh, because yeah. it was uh, like short. It, to me there was a lot to work with mm-hmm. there um, that could have, you know, it could have had multiple layers to it. Yeah. It, were, it was very effective for what it was at kind of setting the tone mm-hmm. for what was to come. Yeah. But, um, but I also feel like it's, um, <laughs> unfortunately, it kind of, the, the movie in my opinion starts strong with that opening and it ends strong with uh, with the, the, the final segment, yeah. but um, uh, not not the epilogue, but the actual final film with John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, to me, the middle section has varying degrees of of, of uh, quality. It just it feel it, I've always felt that it's a little bit of a um, uh, unbalanced set mm-hmm. of of stories that they don't they don't flow together as well as I think they probably could have. Uh, from one to the next. Uh, I think one critic even said that it's like an old vaudeville act where it, it builds in quality as you go along until you have your final, you know, showstopper at the very end to kind of uh, to, to, to end the program. And in, in a lot of respects, I kind of agree with that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it definitely has this progression um, that kind of builds up to the, to the finale. Which um, you know, aside from the opening, I do think that the final the final segment is probably the strongest. But we'll talk more about that as yeah. we get as we get just to uh, just the idea the rest of, of like the, the opening. Like I I'll agree. Like it was very short, and they could have actually adapt, like put more to it. And they would have like if I was directing the opening, what I would have done is that I would have had like the narrator who you always see in like Twilight Zone, like the one who. Who basically like oh welcome to the twilight zone like have him be like the hitchhiker because the idea of him being like the hitchhiker like you mentioned adam that i didn't even think of actually because when they send the credits um driver and passenger i didn't even think this guy could have been like a hitchhiker or they don't really know each other that much so it seemed like they had such um, a natural rapport i think that's why i just assumed they were buddies yeah yeah i yeah. thought they were friends too like pals or like people who work together but just good friends and the way how they um, I think it's mostly like how they communicate with each other based on like what they say to each other and like they're screaming together in songs and also trying to give each other like pop quizzes of like oh what's this intro song to this show really so 
Also, yeah, one thing is when he turns the lights off and he's like, oh, the, and, and just uh, drives without seeing anything. I don't I feel like if that was a stranger, I don't know if he would have done that to a stranger or if I was the stranger. I, would, I mean, that it was like the passenger and I didn't know yeah. this driver. I would be freaking out like this is not <laughs> not I'm like, I feel like something you would more do with somebody that you're friends with. Um, you know, put their life at risk, but like in a funny way with the lights off, maybe not so like a hitchhiker. But again, I mean, who knows how long they know? I I like thinking that maybe they don't know each other. It's a fun twist that I never thought of before. <laughs> think about it. Well, and the reason the reason why I, I thought well, there's a few little moments which I didn't really uh, I can't cite them all off the top of my head. But there's a few little moments that just kind of got gave me this feeling that. It's like they've maybe been in the car together for a day mm. or so. So they started to get to know each other, but they weren't, like, really close. Yeah. But then also the whole idea that, well, it would make sense if he's really a monster. Yeah. That he picked them up on the side of the road, you know, the, earlier in the day. And they, they've been having a nice time getting to know each other, singing songs, playing games. Like, hey, you ever played this game before? Yeah. Like, if you, if you knew someone really well, you probably would you probably would yeah. know if they'd played right. that game before, you know? So it kind of made me You're think blowing my perhaps, mind, Adam. Yeah, so perhaps this this really was a monster all along. Like, would his friend that he knew for 20 right. years really be The kid be he's playing with when he's growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was just my uh, my interpretation. But but that's what's great about movies is that everyone kind of, you know, can uh, pull something uh, unique out of uh, a story. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, what's you know, interesting also own. about that, uh, with that theory, is the end when he is a ambulance driver. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what he does. He goes through and, like, enters, like, oh, now right. I'm an ambulance driver. And then before, maybe I was this hitchhiker. Yeah, he's just, just that's what he goes through life doing. He's, the right. Twilight Zone. He's just, yeah. With a different identity. <laughs> he could be, he could be like, yeah, he could be like, um, the narrator who like introduces the show maybe that's like a new version of him really like a new look like some doctor who type of style way um oh no yeah well, speaking speaking of the of the narrator of course rod yeah. serling who is the creator of the show the show's creator he wrote many episodes and he is the the original narrator host of the show he of course died um very young 1975 before this movie was was yeah. even uh, uh, you know being thought about, but um, the they were fortunate enough to get Burgess Meredith to do the opening narration. Yeah, it's um, an iconic Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah, and and he of course starred in four uh, episodes of The Twilight Zone, including the classic episode "Time Enough at Last." Uh, where he breaks his glasses. So, oh, yeah. and he also does the openings for each individual segment. So he basically Burgess Meredith takes on the Rod Serling mm -hmm. role, mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting choice. And uh, he, of course, being quite old himself uh, by the time uh, this movie was produced. Yeah. So I, it was a nice, a nice decision, a nice reference back to the original. Yeah, paying homage to the original. In. Right, and, and in, that person created it. In the title sequence um, with the door and everything, in the reflection of the eye, I think it is, you see Rod Serling's face. If you freeze it, you can see him, um, a picture of him oh. in the title sequence. Oh, I didn't yeah. notice that. I gotta oh, check that back out. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just in the title sequence. And then there are, it's funny, there are a lot of, um, there's 
several people that are writers and like Richard Matheson came back, George Clayton, Jerry Goldsmith came back as a composer, people from like the original. And then yeah, there's a yeah. handful of cast members um, that were in original Twilight Zone episodes that were in uh, some of the segments. A majority of them are actually in the um, It's a Good Life episode. Uh, Set a segment yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so that are from old um, Twilight Zone episodes but I, I thought that was interesting that they did try to cast some people from the original series it's cool it's basically yeah. a Twilight Zone family reunion <laughs> in a nutshell <laughs> and they did uh, just to sort of come full circle they did as a nice homage to Rod Serling mm-hmm. play the original uh, audio opening yeah. at the very end of the mm-hmm. film. It's and actually it's the opening. That that opening actually changed every season uh, very slightly. But they they played the the original season one audio of Rod Serling, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing his his Twilight Zone intro yeah. at the very end of the film. So there were some nice little moments like that 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 were that uh, and I believe his wife also was a creative consultant on the film. Um, who was still oh, alive yeah, I think in 1983. So, uh-huh. so, so they had, wow. had, and I'm sure she, you know, living with Mr. Serling all those years, had plenty of insight into <laughs> what Rod liked and didn't like. Yeah. And so hopefully she was able to sort of lend uh, some creative input. Uh, you know, because I think it's always hard after a creator of a show dies, whether it's Gene Roddenberry with Star, Star Trek or, or Rod Serling with Twilight Zone, it's always hard to Capture sort of pick it. up the torch yeah. and you know and carry on and but all and do it in an original way but also do it in a way that feels like you're respecting the source material as much as possible yeah that's it's that's always a huge responsibility that, actually and it, like now it's much harder because people will point out uh creative differences of like um from the past to like this new person who pick up the torch like you said and try to in a way um like try to bring out the uh, the tradition of the original, but also like adding some new things to it to give this to give it an identity of like a new version of it, which is it's hard really, and it happens to a lot of people in the film industry, um, regardless of film, TV show, anybody, and because you want to capture it, and unfortunately people would do like a comparison of like you're not this person or you'll never be this type of person because this person had this different level of imagination that you can't reach up for so it's it's a really hard thing to actually do especially when it's based on a a show or a movie that is so iconic or has a huge fan base mm-hmm. and following that even today like people in the year 2018 like us are talking about it really that came out years ago actually and um, I mean, it's no, it's no secret that I wasn't alive or born when the show was first made, but still, um, it's to this day it gets more it gets more followers, and it, it's a huge risk. Really. Well, Adam and I weren't alive That's- when it was. <laughs> <laughs> when it premiered, they were right. not that old. When the, we were alive when the movie came out, <laughs> we were alive. This film, but not the show. We yeah. were alive when the movie came out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did not go to see it in the theater, though. I was probably five years old, so I my parents probably wouldn't have taken. My parents didn't take us to the movies that often. Um, un- unfortunately, I, I discovered film a little bit later because it was something that I sort of had a passion for. Mm. Um, I kind of developed on my own this passion for film, yeah, and uh, would start to to go 
to as many films as I could. But most of my film going really when I was a kid was first and foremost on broadcast television. It was sort of what was being shown yeah. was what I was experiencing for the first time. And then, of course, when we got our first VCR, I was I would start renting every movie I could rent <laughs> oh. that was you know PG <laughs> or PG thirteen. Oh, and uh, but um, one thing that's interesting that I just realized is that. June 24th of this year, just a few months from now, is actually the 35th anniversary of Twilight Zone. Oh, the movie. wow. So this is sort of a 35th anniversary. You should just like not episode. release this episode until June 24th. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's just right in my mind, Becky. You just got me that's right, right. In my mind. just thinking that. Oh, um, no, yeah, that's wow, that's actually amazing. Even though it was going to be the 30th anniversary. 35th. Oh, 35th. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> even, oh. Even, yeah, so you can figure out my farther. age based on what I said earlier in the episode. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, mean, I have no qualms uh, about how old I am. Uh, I mean, I, I just turned 21, so really, I'm just too young for it, really. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, Adam, I'm, yeah, I feel you, man, because for me, in the, when getting into the film industry, like, one film got me into it, which was the 1954 uh, Godzilla movie, and um, I, even to this day, I still have, like, VHS tapes of, like, all the movies that got me into it. To this day, I've tried to watch the latest movies. Actually, like for me, I would like to get a movie recommendation because I'm always asking other filmmakers from both my college and from SVA um, to like recommend it um, some to me. And like for some episodes of like Wrong Reel, I see like okay, I've never heard of this movie, but I'm gonna check it out. So it was just like that's how I mostly get my stuff uh, movies. But anyway, um, I like to um, move on to the another discussion. Um, we're actually going to cover like the majority of the story. So we basically got the intro, the first story. Let's talk about the second story, which was the, I believe kick it was the, can. the old, yo oh, tick uh, kick the can. Yeah, that to me that was the most honest one. Not because it was so kind and sweet and innocent in a sense, but it's a for a Twilight Zone episode. I just had to think. There had to be some message messed up about it because usually all the episodes or the past segments they were all fucked up, but this one <laughs> it's just like, huh? Because in a sense it's like it's it's almost like you're watching this horror movie and it's just so gruesome. Like let's take for example you're watching like I don't know Friday the Thirteenth and you just see all this blood gore and then you cut to a shot of like I don't know like puppies and cats and you're just like. You're just like one of these things don't match the other. Like what? Yeah, this was Steven Spielberg's entry into the into the film. I mean, he produced the entire yeah. film, um, but this was the film. This is the segment he directed, which was also based on an original episode, mm -hmm. also entitled "Kick the Can." Um, it is very. It has a lot of Spielbergian elements to it. Uh, it is very it sweet. I, I, I actually am not a huge fan of it, though. I think it's one of Spielberg's weaker director, directing efforts that he's done, and I'm a huge Spielberg fan. I love most of his work. Mm -hmm. um, but every now and then, he kind of does something like this to me that just kind of just didn't... It didn't work for me. It didn't quite... Um, to me, it feels more like it belongs in the his series that he created a few years, years later called Amazing Stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, to me it had more of that element, sort of like this amazing fantastical tale of of, you know, old people that discover what it means to be, you know, Young to live again, a life yeah. one time, you know, and, and that your life you only have one shot, but, you know, make it count kind of thing. Yeah. And um, you know, I feel like 
this this episode of course again he didn't write it it's based on a classic episode so he was really just kind of trying to put his his visual his style, uh, style and his sort of uh, his personal take on yeah. it um, but it, it reminds me a lot of uh, things that films that came out later by his contemporaries like the movie Cocoon mm-hmm. borrows some of the elements from this um, batteries not included you know he Spielberg definitely which he produced as well he definitely has had this really um, this affinity for you know the sort of what it means to grow old and and the sort of importance of of uh, of sort of our older generation mm-hmm. you know I think something that he always tries to, it's a theme that he sometimes tries to to revisit in his films um, so I think there's like, like like I said I think there's a lot of Spielberg in it but it doesn't it doesn't quite give you the, that sort of magical Spielbergian feeling that a lot of his films like E.T. do. It doesn't yeah. give you chills. It doesn't make you feel something amazing. It's pretty obvious to me at least that once you uh, once you sort of meet the Scatman Crothers character and hear the things that he's saying that he's going to take these people on sort of a magical night um, and they're going to realize. It, to me it just feels a little bit obvious where it's going to go again not this is also knowing the original story he doesn't again he didn't add anything kind of to me that really took it to a new mm-hmm. level but i still enjoy it yeah. it's a nice sweet story i just think of the segments in this film it, it's probably the weakest in my yeah opinion. so i am in the minority in this and i know that a lot of people think this is the weakest entry uh, and it could be because i don't remember loving it when i was younger but re-watching it last week i like cried at the end of the sequence <laughs> and i just think it was really poignant and i just think it maybe it has to do with just aging and you know having a just growing up a little but um the original i feel like the next three segments uh, kick the can and it's a good life and 20 uh nightmare at twenty thousand feet i feel like all of those the original episodes are better than these segments which i mean they're so yeah. classic these episodes so i don't know if they could achieve they do do things different um i really love the original kick the can episode i think it's um really magical and this sequence i like it's not as good as the um the uh tv the tv classic tv episode but they do do different things and what i love about the classic tv episode is they really talk they their whole thing about aging and it, it one of the big themes is that all the amazing, wonderful things that happen in life or uh, the main character sort of sees them as magic. And I love that. Like he talks about the first time he kisses his wife and when his son was born and friendship and that's all sort of magic and that how he wants to recapture that magic and, and tries to get the other people in the home to kick the can to recapture the magic of like what it was like to be young and it's all about attitude. And I think that's just such a beautiful sentiment. It's different in this sequence, which is the film, but what I liked about this sequence was when all the... Um, these older people did become kids I liked how they didn't want to stay kids I thought that was really poignant like how they talked about um, I don't want to do school again (laughs) which I feel like that's (laughs) what I would say Um, but like that what really really thing that got me was the how one person said I don't want to lose all the people that I loved again that's just so I mean I think there's something that comes with olding when you know when you're going to get older you're going to start to lose all the people around you and thinking about actually going through that and not wanting to have that happen again I thought that 
thought was really interesting. It's not something they did in the original episode, but the the end of the episode when that one uh, um, older person does stay young, and 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 there's like sort of a stodgy person in this in this um, mm-hmm. film sequence who doesn't who who doesn't believe like you guys should just uh, capture being old, and he and then when he sees that everybody can be young again, he starts to get he starts to cry, and he's like, "Take me with you," and he realizes that he could be young. I don't know, but it really got me when I saw it last week. I I was like crying in my office when I was watching it at my lunch hour. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it maybe it just has to do with like when you see it in your period of your life. But I definitely think people do see this as the weakest sequence. I actually see it. Um, it's one of my favorite sequences of the film now. I, I think it maybe just because I've seen it again. I I I really like it. Um, I I think I totally get why people won't see it as the strongest one. But it's something yeah. that just it it moved me. Um, well, I think I'll I'll tell you why I I. I the main issue I had about with it is not the idea. I really love the I, I love all the things that you just said. I love all of that about it. I love the idea. I just think that the film itself didn't have time to develop these these elderly characters in a way that you really cared for them, got to know mm-hmm. who they were when they were younger. Like they really only took ten minutes to sort of have them each tell a little story about what they used to like to do or who they were when they were younger. And I think a longer film, you know, like I mentioned films like Cocoon or Batteries Not Included, which came out in the mid to late '80s. Now you had time to really get to know those those elderly characters, yeah. really get and feel for them as as people, and and understand what they did in their lives, and and to sort of then, if we had that 45 minute build up, and then you got to see this joy of of their lives, um, you know, them getting to live one last night as children I just think there there's so much potential with this particular story that I think in the short segment they didn't have time to fully realize it the way at least I imagine. Yeah, it, so. I was surprised about how powerful the ending was for me. Considering I maybe I just like I'm just a sap now. It was just the music and then the tears, and I'm like, right. yeah. when he's like, "Take me with you," I was like, "Oh God!" And I'm like, "Why am I? Why do I care this much?" Again, I didn't spend a lot of time with this actor, this character, yeah. but it just yeah, yeah. really got to me. There was something about it that just really hit me this time. Yeah, yeah. The music was very good, and it was the most sort of wall-to-wall music. Also, like very um, joyous in very, a way, yeah, very Spielbergian in very. that sense. He he loves to use, you know, music to enhance the emotion. Although it is, it's interesting as as you mentioned, Becky. He uh, this film in particular chose Jerry Goldsmith to do the entire score of the film, but they didn't actually have individual uh, composers do the do separate scores. Um, he did the entire score, and it's I think probably the only time Spielberg hasn't used John Williams <laughs> to score one of his his directorial efforts. So that's maybe that's and it why could be it didn't work J- for me. Because the Rudy needed... score, if I hear the like one note of the Rudy oh, yeah. score, it's like Niagara Falls. So maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. it's just Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. That's Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. yeah. So I I don't know. Like I said, it's I'm not really in in a way saying it's a bad segment. I'm just I was just sort of comparing yeah. it to the to the other no, yeah, yeah. film. And uh, and just sort of stating, if I were to rank them, where right? It would, no, where I but it would I, I also think too that I think that that I'm definitely a minority here. I think it just in general. I think people, a lot of people, believe this is the weakest one of the whole film. Mm-hmm. And right. In a sense, right. it's like um, because the Twilight Zone is basically something that's like always off, like everything is always off about it, right? 
But, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle between the both of you. Like, I liked it because it was, like, also, like, it was such a nice story. But also, like, I thought, like, it doesn't really fit the pattern of, like, what's going on. Because usually Twilight Zone is all about, like, messing with your mind. Yeah. Or, like, it just, like, scaring you with all these twists. And to me, when watching it for the first time, it was just like, okay, there's something about this old man who keeps mentioning about, like, kick the can and whatever... And he has, like, this sorcery power magic. Like, he's going to turn evil or something, right? But he doesn't. And that's what I was thinking. Because, like, usually I'm just like, okay. In a, in a way to picture it, it's like if I look at a bunny from that's from the Twilight Zone and it just looks so innocent and cute, I know there's something messed up about it. We're actually going to talk about a bunny from the movie later on. But um, music score, the music was actually really... I liked it and it... When first hearing, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is Spielberg's moment. Like, this is going to be it. And the ending, though, to that segment was, like, so nice. And they actually hinted in the beginning of him mentioning that he's been to six or seven different types of retirement houses. And in a way, like, for him to make these other people that are in this retirement home to be young again, it kind of reminded me of something like Peter Pan type of style, like being young again. So it's like... It was like in a sense it's like is this like paying homage to Peter Pan or like what was Spielberg's like like what was his inspiration to it and I think like you both mentioned that there was an episode I don't know if I got up to it I remember it but no it's um like I'm kind of in the middle of it because I can understand both point of views I'm like as a story it's so nice it's 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 honestly cute really yeah but like for a Twilight Zone it's just very off yeah well and I think that's for a Twilight Zone, really, it's kind of matches the theme of being so off that you're just left confused. And the fact that we're like talking about it is actually, because for Adam, it's like it's so random, like it's like a totally different beat from an entire rhythm. So, well, one of the- to me, really, it's just like um, it's like it's so different that it confuses you and that's what the whole twilight zone is all about really in my point of view one of the reasons why uh i think this movie what it does really well is i think it brings out the best in all of of what twilight zone is and they show like something very scary and to something dark and just social commentary but i actually like how they chose this sequence because of the fact that there are twilight zone episodes like a kick the can is actually is this this episode is very is it's that the original episode is actually very magical and sweet but one of my favorite episodes which i talked about on the wrong reel episode is walking distance which is a beautiful beautiful episode of twilight zone that has no twist i mean it is, i mean this man is sort of just an advertising executive in the end in, in the show and he um is getting his car fixed and he's just not really happy with his life and he ends up going into a town and that town turns is he ends up walking into his past and kind of seeing what his life was like and then when he the when the show is over um when he uh goes off into the real life he realizes i should actually appreciate my life and for what it is and and keep my childhood where it is and it's really like a magical episode too but an uplifting one and really uh powerful and so there are episodes like that of twilight zone and um so i do like how they do i think it did fit with like showing like sort of a poignant powerful magical episode in the fact of like it, it picking four sequences of the best of Twilight Zone and Kick the Can is the the very end of season three. So it's if you are going in chronological order, it would be a while till you got to it. I think. Yeah, I think I'm in the beginning of season three, really. 
Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right, Becky. I think because so many people watch Twilight Zone, at least that are younger, they watch it, whether it's on these marathons or whether they watch them on streaming services and then they yeah. go look for top 20 lists. You know, what I think happens is the more sort of supernatural episodes with the biggest twist endings, not many of them really had twist endings, which is something that people don't realize. It's just the ones that are the most talked about, sort of the ones that have become the most cult uh, in like in their following that have those those types of endings. And those are the ones that seem to get the most play and the most discussion. So as a result, I think people forget that there were plenty of episodes, like you mentioned, that didn't have that big twist ending that were, were sweeter or that had more of just a, like a lesson that is learned or yeah. um, someone has a realization about their own life, about life and death or about something. Th th that's, I think, something that a lot of the episodes ex explored was just the certain ideas that, that all people cope with. And obviously older people wanting to be young again is something that almost everybody has thought about at some point in their life mm -hmm. but I think I do like that idea that that you you only live once and so appreciating the life that you did live and the moment that you're in now is really what life is mm -hmm. all about you know and not not dwelling on the past not wanting to constantly relive the past because at, or and not being afraid of the future because then in, in what happens is you stop living in the present you know, you stop in appreciating the moment you have now if you're always worried about the past or the future. So I think that's that's Spielberg in, in a nutshell. <laughs> he, he, he has a very positive and, um, you know, message that he wants to obviously give his viewers uh, in most of his films. And uh, it sort of reflects, I think, his own outlook and his own point of view. And that's something that at least you can say for Spielberg is he's truly an auteur in that sense. You can almost always see a movie and know it's a Spielberg movie. Yeah. And whether you love it or not, it's, uh, it's, it's almost always, mm -hmm. it almost always has his sort of his trademark, uh, in it. And, and, you know, I mentioned that he didn't have John Williams to the score, but he did have his longtime editor, Michael Kahn do the editing. So he, it really is, it, it was assembled by his his team of people that he usually works with uh, and um, his sort of trusted group of people. Uh, I'm not sure, I can't recall who he used as a cinematographer, but um, that was that was one of the elements that I didn't love. I didn't love the cinematography in it, and that might have been one thing that took me out of it a little bit. I thought it was a little, I don't know, just a little blown out, mm -hmm. a little too, I think mm -hmm. he was trying to create this kind of warm sense it's kind of warm, a lot of oranges and yellows. Yeah, the coloring, the so, lighting gave it a warm sense. In it. So I can, yeah. I can see that, actually. There was, like, a lot of orange and brown and a little bit of red mm -hmm. to, like, give it warmth. So it, it was, like, warm and hard because it's such a nice story, really. So, yeah I, yeah, I agree on the point of it, like, having this warm feeling. Um, but, no, yeah, that was... Um, the one thing I would um, say, though, is that what... Um, that story really it was like it was really nice though um, but the ending though I, I it just made me like melt a little bit because I was like this is just the sweetest like episode from the movie and one of the nicest episodes that I can remember was um, it was actually on season one where we have the salesman trying to save a girl's life from the Grim Reaper by trying to persuade him to buying a tie 
I think that's season one, episode three or two. But that was like one of my. That's actually one of my favorite episodes because we have some like guy who wants to sell something and he's like kind of desperate but he's also kind of greedy and for him to like sacrifice his own life to save someone else's life is a very nice thing but yeah twilight zone it, it might be all messed up with like a lot of twist endings i mean you have episodes about people trying to survive the apocalypse and their glasses breaks and we have like like uh, plastic surgery of like them not looking like the other people and they think they're a freak when really they look like a normal person so for a show to have like all these twist episodes and twist endings for it to have like sweet episodes or like but still have a twist ending to it that works well for the tone is actually really great so um and i agree with the point like for a show to be so dark it and for a lot of the young audience including myself um, for them to see the show and to like think like all the episodes are gonna be like dark and twisted and even though there are some good ones here and there, um, this segment of like the film is just like it catches some people off guard, even myself, because I forgot of like oh yeah there's sweet episodes of the Twilight Zone because when you're watching the two um, ones that happened before you're thinking okay all the stories are gonna be dark and twisted and just downright scary like the next one we'll talk about. Um, but it's just like you forget that there's still an innocent side to the Twilight Zone, as crazy as it may sound. <laughs> so no, you're you're right, and I think you know later on there would be a, a number of of anthology shows which did focus more on the horror elements. I mean, you had Tales from the Crypt and on HBO. So there there were a lot of attempts, I think, for. Uh, you know, sort of copycat anthology shows that came mm -hmm. along later on that were that sort of stuck to all scary all you know gory type of episodes um, but again I think because Spielberg spearheaded this project and and produced it knowing Spielberg for who he is he didn't want it to be a pure horror fest he wanted yeah. it to, to be um, sort of a, a collection of the different tones that the, that the entire series had to offer so uh, he he chose this one and um, but I think that you know the next one is one yeah, of my favorite yeah. original it's my episodes. favorite let's go, so, let's go straight to it so the next story which was uh, my favorite one honestly because that one was just like the it's more it's considered one of the most iconic moments of it because of a certain scene of that segment and it's about the little boy that's um wow that that little kid who has the most bizarrest craziest imagination that can turn anything real but it is so fucked up really <laughs> <laughs> so um we have an, uh, the segment where we start off in a bar like restaurant of a woman trying to ask for directions while we see a little kid who's all alone with no parents which was the red flag right there for me and he's playing this arcade game which they hardly showed and I don't know why but like every time they show like a video game or like someone playing a video game in like a movie like something about like like I don't know like the wizard or um, I just want to see the arcade like I just want to see the game they're playing I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> so He's trying, he's, while he's playing this game, he's trying, um, people who are also there are trying to watch a boxing match, 
but this kid is basically butthurt the fact that he keeps trying to slam the um, the arcade game and they it keeps messing the reception of the TV so these two guys just like unplug it and this woman's basically pissed off about it and she drives off and I don't I know it's gonna sound very cruel but I couldn't help myself but I laughed so hard I had to pause the movie I laughed so hard when the kid got bumped by the while he's on a bike he gets hit by the car i don't know why i was just laughing so hard because it looked like i mean yeah it's from the 80s but it, to me it just looked like a rag doll was on a bike and it just got hit so hard and i was just like i was in tears <laughs> because that segment was just just that moment oh i think so it happened funny. so fast i didn't even know <laughs> yeah but it was that indication of like okay this epi- this moment is going to be about this kid something about this kid and unfortunately it was about that kid because um later on we see that this kid um brings this woman to this um home where he has this so-called family and they are saying watching um Warner, um, Warner Brothers cartoons and they have like this whole cartoonish house and um yeah, so we get to this moment of like, oh, meet the family, whatever, and let's have dinner together. And he's taking her on a tour of the place while it's kind of changing color to the music. Because the music plays a huge role in this segment because it kind of gets the mood. And don't get me wrong, every segment had the mood to it of based on the music. But for me, this one had like this type of Hitchcock type of style where, where and I've heard it before, where it's like the music and the... The positions or like where the actors or actresses move like their movement and the music it's almost kind of like a ballroom dance really of like what's happening currently and the motion the feeling of what's going on now and it really did great for it because you feel kind of like the tension in a sense of like what the characters are thinking and um for the cartoons that you see in the background um they believe it was Mo- three cartoons they were showing one of them was a classic about the dog and the little cat and the other two I don't remember but um, the cartoons play a huge role especially when we have a scene where the the woman is eating a the most disgusting sandwich idea I've ever heard in my entire life of a peanut butter hamburger <laughs> and I'm so glad I'm vegan that I don't have to even think of trying that but <laughs> Um, if you kind of look in, like, right next to her, you see the TV, and you see a cartoon character eating something, and he's just, like, tasting it, but he has, like, this scrunched-up face of disgust, so it's like the cartoon behind her is also, like, giving out, like, what's, what is she feeling or thinking without her having that much emotion shown facially, but also, like, without words, so it's, like, it does it for her, so we get the sense of what the character's feeling, and then... We have like this kid who shows like we see um I'm like all over the place for it but um we see a person who's like on a wheelchair all alone in the most dark room ever kind of reminded me of my cousin but <laughs> um we see her without no mouth and for some reason I thought of a video game called um I can't scream I I have no mouth I must scream and it's like we, she has no mouth she her eyes are all open so it's just like okay. So, um, we see that, and also, like, this kid has, like, these supernatural powers of, like, his imagination going to real, and it's, like, a twisted version of Law of Attraction, but this kid takes it to a whole new level, because he's, 
basically like the son of Satan, like this kid is just so twisted, and I don't know why that like you can have a, a an adult slasher horror killer, right? And people will be like, okay, that's scary. But when you have a little kid who's like, who looks so innocent, like he just is, like was in preschool, whatever, and he just has this evil power. That's more scarier than a full-grown Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. So, this kid was like, hey, so we're going to do a magic show and we get to, like, the most... I think it's the most memorable moment of the entire film of, like, when people think of the Twilight Zone movie, they think of this one specific scene where we have this gigantic rabbit, like, berserk coming out of a magic hat. And I... Please, if you do know the answer to it, like, who was, um, who did the model of, like, that creature? I don't know if it was animatronic or, like, animation, but if, I mean, for the 80s, I'm not sure. But, yeah, this kid has some twisted powers, and Yemen's just pretty weird. But, let me, um, tell me, what did you think of this, whatever that story was? Well, I mean the 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 story's based on "It's a Good Life." Have you seen the? You have, it sounds like you may have not seen the original episode "It's a Good Life." The I, <laughs> it was one of my. I'm not, we talked about it. It's it's actually season three again. It's season three, episode eight of the original series, oh and it's about a, like, a kid that's a six year old kid who's a monster. And that episode is is one of the best episodes, and my yeah. one of my favorite episodes ever of the series. Um, it's really dark, very twisted about this kid who can. Um, the whole his family and really the, he wishes the whole town all the there he lives in a town and everybody are in surrounding towns are are no longer there it's just his town and the whole world he wished everybody away and um if yeah. they don't do what he they can um he can hear all their thoughts which i don't know i don't this this is this was different because this kid couldn't hear their thoughts but this kid in the tv show could hear their thoughts so you always had to be saying thinking good things and if you didn't yeah, he could send you to the yeah. cornfield and it was really twisted um, um, and dark. Uh, this is what uh, this is based on. The scene where the show The Girl Without the Mouth is the most frightening image I've ever seen in cinema. And I remember yes. it scared me so much when I was a kid. And it still <laughs> is really um, visceral image. It's I think because it, her eyes are moving so back and forth. And it's just, it's just surprising when the camera pans down and she has no mouth. So that was very scary. But um, I thought this uh, I thought this sequence is great. And um, I'm not actually sure Adam might know about the special effects uh, but the the bunny obviously is very scary um i like how they have they have a lot of nods in this um in this uh segment to old twilight so episodes like uh the the woman that played his mom and his dad um are from uh past twilight zone episodes um uh and um and Bill Moomy, who played the little boy, the six-year-old boy in the original episode, the monster, um, he's in the bar scene, I believe, is that in in the very in the bar scene yeah. when the then the woman is asking for directions. Um, I also there's just a lot of fun trivia in this episode. Like I like how um, in uh, the beginning of the uh, the episode, she's saying that um, where she, like where she's from and where she's going. She says she's going to Willoughby and that she's from Homewood, and um, Homewood is from Walking distance that episode that I told you which is one of my favorite episodes where that man walks into this town of his childhood so um, 
she's saying that she's going there. That's where she's uh, that's where she's trying to find directions to. And she's from Willoughby, which is from an episode called The Stop at Willoughby, which is really uh, Willoughby ends up being a funeral home. It's a very scary, uh, crazy episode. But I like that. And I also like how she opens the door. Um, at one point, there was a big eye. That eye is from um, the opening yeah, title sequence of Outer Limits, um, which I'm a, uh, I know Adam and I are both big fans of that TV series. But I just think this episode is, I mean, this this segment is really well done. It it's uh it's creepy with the with the peanut butter hamburgers and the ice cream and oh. that and and uh, Nancy Cartwright isn't she his sister Adam, um, yeah which yeah. is kind of crazy the woman that plays Bart Simpson is his sister in this segment so just a bunch of fun trivia on its own but I just think it's the creepiest segment um, it's such it's so well done it it is very it is a very different from the original um, uh, classic TV show which is nice because it's different. Um, it's less, I think, terrifying, but it's also, um, and then there's actually kind of a happy, there's a happy ending at the end, which is, um, there's not a happy ending at the end of the classic TV yeah. show. Um, it's actually <clears throat> just really terrifying ending of the classic episode. You should definitely seek it out, Ian, if you hadn't seen it, because it is yeah, just I, extraordinary episode of television. It's been a while since I've, but uh, yeah, I really while, enjoyed yeah. it. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I think it's a great, uh, uh, a great segment. Um, one of the stronger ones. Uh, I also agree that the original episode is better, but again, it's oftentimes very hard to separate two things once you've seen the original. Um, but I, you know, it, Joe Dante, who at this point had only done I think really one big film. He um, he had done the, a werewolf movie called The Howling, which was a pretty good werewolf film. But he would go on after this uh, to work on a number of films that Spielberg would produce, including Gremlins and um and uh, uh numerous other you know uh, films he, he was a really good uh, kind of genre mm-hmm. director he did a lot of work in the 80s and early 90s um the visual effects were done by the great rob button he did the creature effects and you know you've seen his work on everything from um, he did makeup for the original star wars he worked on robocop he worked on total recall he worked on the thing so yeah he's been around and been working on makeup effects and model effects and and you know that type of uh, of uh, prop monster special effects for for a long time, and uh, so he obviously created the 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 demon bunny that you were referencing earlier, and uh, yeah, I think that it's it's a really great um, self-contained little story. It's um, it's a little more visually twisted than the original episode. I think it's more disturbing to watch, whereas the original episode, I think, is more sort of disturbing to yeah, think Yeah, it's more about. psychologically <laughs> because terrifying. More psychologically disturbing, yeah. yeah. Because it makes, it puts you in, it makes you imagine, what would I be like if I was in this home with this boy who could read your thoughts oh. and would would you know kill you in a second or transport you out to what do they call it the cornfield the the cornfield yeah Um, and uh, yeah so there were all types of um, things that the original episode I think just sort of did to you psychologically whereas this one I think took a more visual approach again because I think Joe Dante is a visual (laughs) director and he he likes to use uh, those tools um, whereas, you know, in this film, he's watching, as you mentioned, cartoons and all the televisions yeah. in every room. It's essentially like what any little boy 
like if he could have whatever he wanted, what would he want? And where and he has he eats junk food. He watches cartoons all day. He thinks this is the greatest uh, way to live, and he thinks that anybody, including his family, would want to live the same life that he does. And why wouldn't they? It's great. You don't have to do any work. You just have you can sit around watching cartoons oh, all day. God, that's yeah. that's amazing. So you know, from a small boy's perspective, that might sound amazing. Yeah. Me having a young girl, you know, I can imagine all if she had her way, she would eat nothing but candy and watch <laughs> Frozen all day. So <laughs> it, that that would be the 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 uh, you know the best the best uh, world she could live in. So. It, again, as you get older, obviously you need purpose. You need you need work. You need mm-hmm. things to drive you, and um, and I think that's what this film, this segment, does nicely. Is it adds this school teacher character named played by Captain Quinlan, yeah, who is essentially going to you know tutor him in how to control his powers. And for some reason, he seems to sort of respect her and want her to like him. And that's important because obviously the people that he's brought to this house up until this point, he really is just using as like mm-hmm. puppets. He wants them there. Wants to. He wants company, but he he really is controlling them all. So this this the the uh, you know the addition of this new character, this woman, um, you know, it seems that she somehow is going to sort of be his his guardian. And teach him and learn learn with him what his powers can do, mm-hmm. what are the limits, how to control them, how to use them for good, uh, you know, and only when necessary. Perhaps that's sort of the the you know. And I like I always thought that this had a really a, a sweet ending as well as they drive off into the sunset. Flowers kind of uh, grow uh, in the wake of, of the car uh, driving away, and uh, so it, I think that obviously she's showing that the little boy. He his for the first time, he's found somebody that actually cares about him, and that's sort of what he really wanted. Yeah. He wanted somebody more than anything that would want to be there with him and of her own free will, and somebody that wanted right. to, you know, you know, take yeah, care. Yeah, because of him. these people around him are just telling him what he wants to hear because they don't want to get hurt. Exactly. Like, they, like when they t- she says, "Oh, you eat like this all the time," and he's like, "Well, no one told me." well, should I not be eating like this all the time? And maybe that's something that he heard from his real parents years ago when he was younger. And well, I mean, it sounds like right. he did something to his parents. So he um, is a monster, <laughs> yeah. but, and he does monster monster things like he sends the woman, uh, Nancy Cartwright into the cartoon. But he, I think that maybe he's getting old enough where he realizes that he wants more, that he wants a parental figure and love and someone who really cares about him. So that's, it is interesting yeah. uh, ending. It's also funny too, what, like in the the house is a replica of the house in that cartoon that he's watching at the beginning of Mouse Wreckers. Yeah. So it is like yeah. you think about it, like he's think looking at things that he wants to have. Oh, I love to live in this house, and that's the house that he creates for them to live in. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's a uh, there's a, just a lot of layers to this story, um, some terrifying ones and some like you know really profound ones, and it's 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 a it's a it's really fascinating sequence of the film, the a segment of the film, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I think it's, it's my favorite, other than the prologue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I didn't even know there was an episode of Twilight Zone. Like, I had to check, like, what episode was I on? Because I thought it was in the beginning of season three, and it turns out I'm actually on, like, season two, episode ten. Again, it's been a long time since I've last seen the show because I've been so busy with other things. 
but I gotta rewatch um, the series. <laughs> but no, this kid was just like so twisted, really. And I would have thought, like, only could imagine, like, what would have been like if he was like a teenager of like trying to get his way and like how would have been much more different. But um, I'm also like curious of like how did this kid get these powers, but also like how, like, what did he do to his parents? And I don't know if I missed it, but. Um, yeah, this kid is like anything he creates, it just happens. And the ending though was like very surprising for me because she he realizes that this woman is not afraid of him because of these powers that he has, but also wants to help him, like be his mentor. Like, I thought to myself, what are they gonna do together now that she's discovered that he has these powers, but also like what would they be capable of doing? And like, would she use him for like evil doing or like good stuff like what would happen really so it's just like you have this imagination of like what would happen beyond their story like after their after the curtains go down like what's going to happen more for them really i i think i think that they tried to set it up and they, they established her as a school teacher changing jobs trying to you know to find some new purpose in her life and i think the idea that they were trying to um project was that she being a teacher of small children would know how to sort of tame him and teach him how to control and only use his powers under very specific circumstances and that in the end that maybe they would have she would become a surrogate mother to him and and she who has no family would have a, have a son yeah. and they would learn you know to, to love each other and take care of each other and um, that that was my mm -hmm. always my impression. I didn't. I also don't see him really as a monster in this as much as I did in the original episode. I, I see him as probably someone who was born with these abilities. Doesn't understand why he can do them. He doesn't understand how to control them. He just thinks this is normal. If you could just do something by default, it would be normal to you. And if no one ever told you, I mean, kids say all the time, you know, they yell at their parents, I hate you, I wish you were dead. Well, if he could, if he said that and they just disappeared, does that make him a monster? No, he's not really a monster. He just wished them away because he could. He didn't know he could do it. It wasn't something that he was really in control of. So I just always thought that he was somebody that, again, needed guidance, needed somebody that understood what he was going through and uh, he never had that and as you said he had people around him that were so terrified of him that they would yes him to death and wouldn't actually do anything to care for him or help him mm -hmm. because they just wanted to they didn't want anything bad to happen to them so that's just my mm -hmm. perspective on it yeah. I it's um it's probably to me the second my se aside from the opening <laughs> the second best uh, segment in the film I I'm a personal fan of the final segment. I love the original mm -hmm. episode. It's one of my favorite, um, you know, Terra at 20,000 feet with William Shatner. Um, this segment is, uh, to me, just such a terrifying and perfect original episode. Yeah. And it, it is by far probably on, you know, one of the most well-known original episodes. Uh, it's been spoofed on everything from The Simpsons to, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you, can, you name it. It's, it's, so, it's so become part of sort of the zeitgeist of American, you know, cinema that even people that haven't really heard of The Twilight Zone sort of know about this episode. They know images from it about this sort of creature or gremlin mm -hmm. on, this, on the wing of a plane terrorizing uh, a, a passenger. 
and um, you know, of course, John John Lithgow, the great John Lithgow, plays uh, the the lead in this in this episode, taking over the part from William Shatner. Um, I think John Lithgow did a, an incredible job. Oh my gosh, um, but uh, but it's hard to compare because William Shatner did an amazing job as well. It's there, and they are very different. This is another example where there are a lot of changes. It's the basic premise is intact, but John Lithgow doesn't have a wife in this one. I always like the dynamic of William Shatner uh, with his wife and them the conversations that mm-hmm. they would have in between the sightings of the creature on the wing. Um, this one was directed by George Miller, who of course did you know the Mad Max films up until that point. Um, he would later go on to <laughs> make uh, movies like actually, like yeah. Babe. Um, but yeah, he uh, it, yeah this is just one of my. Uh, favorite sort of cinematic um, stories um, and uh, I, I I just want again in this case it's one of those episodes where I wish it was even longer I wish there was a little bit yeah. more um, because the 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 story the premise to it to me is just such a strong one because so many people have a fear of flying that mm-hmm. you you add to that this sort of supernatural component on the wing and it just is so terrifying for so many people. No, yeah. I've, I even had the experience of, like, I'm not personally afraid of flights, but I've had an experience of flying with someone who has a phobia of flying. And it was it's so hard to, like, calm them down. And for this movie, really, like, the segment of the film, it was, like, in a sense, it's, like, getting into the psychological minds of, like, what it's like for a person who has, like, a phobia of, like, flights of like what they're feeling and like what their imagination could come up with right and like I just want to point out like the opening to the segment like the cinematography was on point of like it's starting off in the top and in a sense it's actually a good idea because we even though we look at the character from all the way below it kind of gives like the weakness that the character has because they always say in order to show um, how strong a character is or how weak the character is show them like in an angle where they look big or where they look small and for him he's more he's tiny so it's like okay we know that he's not that weak that he's not that strong because he's freaking out that he's in a plane which is in a thunderstorm which I think anybody can agree that's pretty damn scary but also and I've unfortunately had that experience before but it's terrifying but also it the lighting there was like a little bit of blue and white to it because of the window that they showed of like what's going on outside this huge uh, thunderstorm and it gives it like a very good homage of like what's it like inside the um, person mentally of the experience of like going through a plane but also of it going through a huge storm so that itself was pretty crazy and the performance um, my god was just so spot on of like him freaking out in the bathroom and they're trying to knock saying like if he's alright and he's when he's trying to consume his pills and he, he's shaking a lot and the noise everything about it's just so good it makes it gives it a huge depth of like you're actually there but you actually also feel for the character because this character is a middle aged man I believe who's freaking out he's trying to get his shit together but also it's a thunderstorm so it's like a huge war for him really both mentally and physically but the mental part of it is the strongest part um, to me really and for him to see this weird monster that's like hanging from the right wing I believe it was um, is freaking and to me it's like 
in a sense, it's kind of playing with the mentality because no one else can see it but him. And he's trying to tell everyone, like, there's a monster out there. So, to me, it was kind of like saying, like, when people have this have this huge uh, mental breakdown, especially when it comes to fear, they start to see things. And I've heard that that happens before, especially with the experience of flying with someone who has a phobia of flight. Um, it was a flight to Vegas, which was hard as hell, really. But, no, it, I mean, thank God she took it well. But to see that really is giving you like a sense of like, this is what it's like for a person to fly. So that was just like horrific. Like, um, like Becky, what did you think of like that whole segment? So uh, I'm a minority here as well because <laughs> I I'm not a huge fan of the sequence because I'm I think because I'm such a huge fan of the original episode um, with um, William Shatner and that that episode was Richard, directed by Richard Donner who. It did Superman and the Omen and Scrooged, which I love. Yeah. But um, the original, uh, the original episode is is so well done. Um, and I think the reason why I'm not a huge fan of this one is because I kind of feel like it's the same thing. And I already know because I have seen Nightmare Now Twenty Thousand Feet with William Shatner. It's such perfection, and I've seen it so many times. It's like I don't think they did enough with this to make it different. Um, so I kind of yeah. felt really bored. And I used to like it a lot, but when I rewatched it last. Last week I was sort of like, all right, all right, let's. I was trying to like, it was just like going through the motions. Okay, he's gonna see the gremlin, and it was a lot of the same stuff. Like the 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 when he gets off, the you see that the the wing actually has it was a real something real that he saw, just like the original. But um, the a classic episode. One of the things I really like is he is with his wife, and you get that whole dynamic, like you said, Adam, and then also. They explain that he was a salesman um, on um, going on a flight, um, in in six months earlier, like went had a nervous breakdown on an airplane, and nobody really knows why. And this is his first plane back to go to to go back to his family, and so his wife is so excited to get their her husband back, and her husband's going to come and see their kids again. And it's just, but and then she's just hoping that he's sane, and then she's thinking, oh my god, he's going crazy again. So it's it's just there's all these dynamics to the original and um, um, layers to it and uh, backstory that I just loved. And also, I think William Shatner is just so amazing. And he also takes a gun from like a, a, um, like a policeman on the, on the um, plane and shoots through the window. And it's just, I just think it's just so well done. And I think that I, I, this, uh, this segment is just a victim of me just loving the original so much. And it just being sort of the same thing that I was like, this is, I thought it was really boring. Cause it was like, I think it was the first time I ever saw it which I did. It was the first time I saw this movie before I saw the episode when I was a kid, you know, when I first saw it when I was six. I loved it. But I think now growing up, seeing the William Shatner episode and loving it so much, now when I see it at 41, I'm just like, oh, this is so boring. When is it going to be over? (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to explain what my, I'm going to blow your mind with my theory. Oh, okay. On what really, on why it is different. Now, this is just my personal theory. I don't know if I've never read this anywhere. I don't know if anyone else. It's going to be the first time we have You've blown my mind so many times already, Adam, on this episode. Well, (laughs) (laughs) actually, I have two theories, but this, the first one is that the big difference, of course, as, as we discussed, is that, yes, there's, there's no wife. Um, and we don't. We know that he, based on this textbook that he's written, that he's like in computers. You know, he's um, I forget what the name of the book was called, mm-hmm. but he's uh, the, mm-hmm. the 
the flight attendant picks up this book and says, "Oh, you you like science fiction?" And he says, "No, no, I write. I, I I'm you know I wrote the yeah. book. You know, I mean, it's a text it's a textbook." So, um, I, and the other, but the, so there's he's alone. That's the first step. The first difference. The next difference is that you start this episode with him in a sheer panic in the bathroom. Like he hasn't seen anything yet. He's absolutely going crazy just because. He's on a plane and he's terrified. He's so terrified of flying, obviously that, uh, and he does. There's no evidence that he's coming from a sanitarium or that he's been had any other um, incidents in the past. Um, whereas in, in the William Shatner version, which I love, I absolutely love it, I, and I, I, it's one of my favorite TV episodes of all time of any mm-hmm. show. Um, you know, he's he's in pretty decent shape up until he sees the creature on the wing for the first time then he starts going crazy my theory is that he was in such fear and panic that he was essentially creating the monster through a, a type of mental projection that yeah. he was man- it was he was manifesting his fear on the wing in in the physical plane i think it's called like astral oh, wow. projection so he and has like, he's actually these he, powers and that's why no one else can see it is that he's essentially his fear he's so scared and terrified that something's going to happen to the plane that he's willing it into existence and that this creature is actually just you know him just destroying the plane that's how he Mm -hmm. sees it but it it really is happening he really is destroying the engines um and that he essentially created this 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 um in, in essence, he was the cause uh, of the problem, but he also made it worse. You know, as he got more and more yeah. scared, he was creating it. He was making it. You know, the 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 damage uh, increase and so forth. So, I'm not saying that it wasn't real. I'm just saying that he was, in essence, sort of man. He was he, this creature was a manifestation of his fears uh, and and terrors that he he brought with him onto the plane. So that's just one theory. The, the the sort of general theory that a lot of people believe and th- and from the original episode is that these were these are real creatures that live in the clouds that are are mad at humans for encroaching on their territory that man was never supposed to be flying. yeah because gremlins have to do with messing up aircraft right and that goes back to World War two so this is like this concept that they don't want us up there and they they're trying to get us to go back down to earth and to 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 basically cause so many accidents that humans will stop you know invading their their space in the sky so that's kind of the general theory i thought that perhaps you know george miller was taking it in a new direction with this one that was that was kind of my interpretation i have nothing more than my own just uh you know my own mind to to back this up so there's no there's nothing that i'm aware of that has discussed this prior or written no one that has written about it um but that's what i like about movies is that everybody can go into them and sort of take out their own uh you know their own take on it and and that to me is why i find that they're both equally and not equally but they're both enjoyable takes on the same you know the same tale the same story uh and uh it's again it is hard for me to top the original episode it's such a great episode in in so many respects but 
um, that's yeah, that's me. That's I like my, that. I uh, like your theory <laughs> better. Your theory, yeah. yeah, it's so funny how like like it's weird. I love like I said, I love all the original classic episodes more than the these three episodes that they're trying to do. However, I I don't know why I'm being so hard on this last one. I think because maybe it seems like it's so it's it's so. Um, in line with it, they don't do a lot different. Anything, you know, the other ones are right. are, are very different, uh, or they just go with their, their own inspiration. This one, for, to me, didn't feel like they did much other than him not having the wife and everything. So, and I just so I was like, well, he doesn't. He's great, but he's not William Shatner, and you know, I just there's just <laughs> right, just right. just and yeah. also because I kind of was like, oh, well, I exactly know where this is going, and it's nothing is much different. So I think, but again, I'm I'm in the minority on that because a lot of people think that that these films were done these segments were done in a sen- in order of excitement uh, so he ascending order of excitement and this was the best one and you had said at the beginning this was your favorite but I think I had used to really love it and then you know I've been now over the like 20 years so obsessed with the original episode that now when I watch this one later I you know reassessed it and don't like it as much right well, I also don't like flying so that adds an element for me personally really? so no matter which which version I watch um, I'm not like this guy at all. But yeah. I, I just I'm not a fan of flying. If I don't have to, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, so, but for me, you know, I I think about you know what can go right. wrong, what what problems could arise, and uh, and I know that that uh, a lot of people have that that same fear to varying degrees. So I think that for me, it's effect it's an effective mm-hmm. piece, regardless of. Uh, whether I know the outcome, um, I agree that they could have done a little bit more to change it up, to make it a little different, and and probably it was one of those situations where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, kind of situations where a lot of people that they that may have not seen the original episode and New Generation, they probably thought, well, let's just remake it and introduce it to a whole new generation. Yes, yeah, so it worked really well on and Ian. hope that and hope that hooks them and gets yeah. them to go back and watch the original yeah. original series. So I feel like if they changed it too much, it actually probably would have caused a big, you know, uproar with the fan base saying, "Oh, this is not how it's supposed to go," you know. So it's kind of one of those situations where if they if they remake it too closely, it's going to get criticized for that, and if they don't change if they change it too much, it's going to get criticized. Whenever you try to tamper with something so classic as that you're gonna have <laughs> yeah. you know you're gonna have people who have opinions yeah. <laughs> either way so oh it's gosh. hard to it's hard to win but uh you know originally though one other thing to note is that this i believe was in the original scripted version and novel novelization of, of this movie it was supposed to be the second in the series and i think as you mentioned a lot of people feel that perhaps spielberg looked at what he had and assembled it in sort of this this yeah. this um, build up, so that you were building up to sort of a finale that had the most action, the most excitement, um, even if it, if it wasn't the best segment, it to you know for everybody's tastes, it, it it definitely had the most um, energy, if you will, in terms of sort of the 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 visuals and you know the the mm-hmm. action so that's obviously a good way to end any type of film is to have it end on uh, a really exciting note um and uh, of course the ending of both the episode and this i think you mentioned we do see that um the wing and the the engine have been completely Just destroyed completely there are claw overrated. marks yeah claw marks everywhere um which 
you know, implies that this wasn't in his imagination. I think both the movie segment and the original episode, you're supposed to think throughout, is this all in their head? Yeah. You know, is this just his imagination? The original, I think, does a little bit um, more. It takes a little more time because of his wife sitting next to him to, uh, to build that suspense because he sees it more, more times, I believe, um, he, you know, he looks at it, he sees it, and he looks back. He tells his wife to look, and she looks, and yeah. she doesn't see it. Then they tell the flight attendant to come over, and she looks, and he doesn't, she doesn't see it. There's a lot more of, of him trying to convince people that there's somebody out there mm -hmm. before that famous shot where he opens the, uh, the window and it's like right up against, shot. you know. So yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, that, that actually stalled me a bit. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just reached, I just actually thought of another theory, and I don't know if it will work, but it kind of connects to, like, yours, Adam, where he creates the monster based on his, like, in a sense, his fear. Now, what if, right, like, just imagine this. What if this was the, um, the man who was in, the salesman, right, who was in the plane was actually the little boy who couldn't, who created his own imagination that couldn't handle it in his own imagination because... Yeah, we had the teacher, the woman who was trying to help him out, but he's more grown now. And what if he can't, like, control his powers because of his fear and it kind of backfires on him? Oh, that's interesting. And he creates, he creates the monster himself, so it's like his own imagination and feelings are, in a way, like, hurting him because he can't control his powers. Yeah, and that could be DNA from when yeah, they it, said, like, maybe they would have similar characters in each story. Exactly, that would be something yeah. cool that they could have done. Maybe that maybe that is something originally they thought of where maybe the kid becomes this person and later. Because um, I know that that was something they originally wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I don't, right, I don't right. Know and again, that's why my only, my main point for my theory is that this version of the character played by John Lithgow is much more... Um, you know, he is. He were introduced to him in the very first shot in sort of a frenzy. He is in absolute chaos mentally, yeah. and like he is shaking and sweating, and he's taking pills. He is not in control mm -hmm. of his body in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah he's, he's having a nervous out. breakdown. And where Shatner is pretty cool, calm, and cool up until the, that first sighting. I mean, you get as Becky mentioned, you get a sense that based on. Um, his backstory that he had he had a nervous breakdown and everything with his with um with, i don't know was it six months earlier yeah, i forget exactly six months how earlier long. um yeah and but you know what what is a nervous a nervous breakdown could mean any number of things mm -hmm. you know so it's um th they really they did take a bold choice i think in this one to make him be um like a paranoid wreck <laughs> from the first moment Broken you see him guy, yeah. um and that to me was was the big difference and um as i have watched you know most of the episodes and learned more about different supernatural things that theory of mine sort of started to take form of you know one one sort of basically causing their own demise you know one creating their worst fears and um and not knowing, not realizing they're doing it, obviously, not yeah, knowing they have that, this ability. That happens a lot to so. some people, yeah, that their fears get the best of them, and it's like, in a sense, it's attracting to them. Yeah, so so that's just my, I'm, I'm sure all of the listeners <laughs> uh, will be happy to disagree with me on that. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta but, check out how many Twilight Zone yeah. theories there are, especially for the, the movie. Yeah, maybe somebody <laughs> will come out now, Adam, yeah. and be like, here's proof that you were right, and we've just never seen it before. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's someone who like takes all the segments and they're like, it's one big like story and it's the same person. There, there has to be one yeah. person who's trying to do that. Um, but okay. let's yeah. let's go to the ending where we see like they they land the plane and after they check it out, he's in the ambulance and he's like giving his story of like um, after he, he's talking to this guy and he's listening to like some music. I don't know what it was, um, but. He, I think, I think they were playing Creedence Clearwater Revival yeah. again. Yeah, if I, yeah. Um, and he asked him, "Hey, you want to see something really scary?" So it's like kind of like when watch the beginning, you just see him, like kind of breaking the fourth wall when he looks at the camera and he's like wide eyed, he's freaking out. And then that's when it ends to like it goes to the narration. Yeah, that's great. It goes like the scene fades out to the starry yeah. sky, and then you have the it goes the, yeah it goes Rod Serling's opening monologue yeah. with the. You, this is there is a fifth dimension beyond which is known. To yeah, me. yeah, it's great. And like uh, Adam said, it's it changes throughout the um, series, so it's great they use the original one. Uh, I really like the prologue. It's kind of fun to see Dan Aykroyd back, and I like how he <laughs> says, "Heard you had a big scare up there, huh?" And he's like, "Want to see something really scary?" So it's a really nice oh, like tie God. into everything. And Dan Aykroyd's great. Um, but this film is um, it was it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it, Ian, because you hadn't uh, you know grown up on Twilight Zone and. You, and you had just recently seen it. You hadn't seen it before because I was like, oh, is this movie going to age well? Like, I really loved it back then. Am I going to still love it now? I was surprised. I thought it wasn't going to age as well, but it, it definitely yeah. did. Um, cl- clearly, the ending sequence didn't age as well for me just because I think my own uh, obsession with the classic, um, you know, took so much away from it that I said, like, originally hadn't been there. So, um, but I, I think this film is is, is really exceptional. Um, I mean, the, and worth seeking out. And I love love how they it's just to show this anthology and that they had these four very different uh 80s directors take on a segment uh so i uh i'm I'm just a big fan of it and i definitely think people should seek it out yeah i mean yeah for films i mean like for me it was like um like since it was a film in the 1985 um it was like would it be like would it look outdated for me and it happens to a lot of films like we see at our very early age where we're, we're just blown away how it looks and then when we get older you just you just see everything like you just see behind the scenes of it in a sense of like you you kind of see the strings of it really like as a kid you don't but then when you're mo- much older and you have more like knowledge of like how the show was made or how the movie was made and like behind the scenes pictures or videos and you kind of see the strings now and sometimes it's um you know like you know regardless if i see the strings it's still pretty damn cool yeah for me as a first timer who's seen the movie i was actually impressed by how it looked because it's not because of like oh this was a film in the 80s no for a film that had that for a film to be based on a show that's always black and white and to be exaggerated like more especially with the scene of the rabbit um it just makes it stand out really and it has this unique look to mm-hmm. it so it's honestly really good but also um it, like even though the color the movie is in color and it's gonna be weird for me to say this every story to me was like a black and white film so honestly it was like a very homage to it and uh, like again as a first timer i enjoyed the hell out of this movie and I wasn't aware that it, like some of the segments were based on episodes. I gotta cap. I gotta catch up to Twilight Zone. 
Well, there's um, like 156 so episodes. <laughs> It'll take a while. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, it's there's a still lot. episodes yeah, I that I'll of... see in a marathon. I'm like, oh, what? I how did I not see that one? <laughs> so I've just never gone through yeah. and systematically went through and made sure I've seen every single one. There are a handful that I still haven't seen um, throughout the years. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can't get yourself get on yourself for not seeing all of them. Oh, there's my. so many, and we're, I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. just so honored that we inspired you to 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 you know take the deep dive into the series i think that is that oh, was yeah. so cool to like i feel like we get live tweets from you when you watch the episodes originally you're like i just <laughs> saw this one and this is what i thought it was fun yeah the episode that i remember i i tweeted to i think both of you was the episode the one which was the old man who he broke his glasses like i was like oh, okay i'm waiting for this episode and for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I hate his wife. She's so, oh, she's so fucking evil. But no, yeah, um, I'm happy that the both of you actually inspired me to watch the show. And I think both of you mentioned a series. I think it was Adam, or I'm not sure who it was, that you mentioned another series that both of you watched. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's going to be another one. But uh, like an hour before we started doing the podcast, I checked... Uh, how many episodes do I got? And then I checked, like, I didn't even see what episode I was on. I just saw on Netflix, oh, how many seasons, I mean, how, how many episodes are in each season? I'm just like, oh, shit, I got a lot to watch. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. Your whole there's, life ahead of you to see all of Yeah, there's not enough time to watch all of the content <laughs> available out there, especially, you know, not there's not enough time to watch the current shows that are being produced, yet alone go back in time and catch up on all of them. Uh, it's one of my biggest <laughs> challenges is finding the time yeah. to watch movies and shows that are great. One thing I, I wanted to bring up that I don't know if you guys know, and it might, it may, it must have been chosen for a reason, but the song, of course, the the CCR song, Creedence song that plays in the beginning at the end of the film, Midnight Special. Um, the the meaning of that song or what that song was about for those who don't know is it's, it's about a real train called the midnight special locomotive train that used to pass by the, the louisiana state prison every night at midnight and the light from that train would shine into the prison cells at midnight and if it if it illuminated you the prisoners believed that it would you would gain your freedom one day hmm. so it, it it always made me think like is that song you know supposed to represent something wow. are we all trapped in this prison of of the you know of the twilight zone and you know <laughs> it just to me they're always uh there there was something uh interesting about that choice of all the songs they could have chose you know that was the one and and they play it twice so i always felt that that you're uh, they're, you're they're, on a roll of theories today be. aren't you <laughs> yeah that's a, I, I love that i love that story what yeah the theory, well, when the I when I see a film a lot of times, I try as I watch them every time to sort of take something new away from it, whether mm -hmm. it's something that I personally see or interpret from it, like what I've been discussing, or whether it's just you know noticing something unique about a shot or about the lighting or about a performance that I never noticed before. So it's something that I try to do. I think you learn more from movies as you watch them multiple times, obviously, and. Uh, that's something that I think more people who enjoy and want to make movies should do is yeah. is watch the same film over and over again, uh, especially if they love it, and really sort of get a grasp on what the film is trying to say, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and, and form your own 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 opinion based upon mm -hmm. that, yeah. based upon those those multiple viewings. I think there are films that 
change with multiple viewings. Sometimes they just get better and better. Sometimes you, that, yeah. that feeling stays the same. And other times I find that, the, that, that they don't hold up. Like, this is a movie that sort of holds up for me, but not 100%. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if, it, if, um, if it's just me or if it's the film, but as Becky said, as you, you, know, as you get older, you see things a little differently. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I first saw this, though, on television, I don't know, 30 years ago, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, just like I did the original series. So, um, I don't know. We all we all grow no, and we yeah. all um, you know, evolve over time. For me, um, and it's funny you mention it because, like I mentioned, I the reason why I became a filmmaker was because at an early age I saw the original Godzilla movie, and as a kid, like um, it's actually it's like something new for you to know, but like that was the first live action movie I ever saw in my life because before that I just used to watch a lot of like animated films, and for me, I thought. It, it kind of sucks but like I thought it was real like I thought Godzilla was a real thing and even though I was kind of disappointed that my mom told me he wasn't um I had to like really get my like I had a way to like get I um get older to see it and now that I'm much more older than how I was I kind of see like how it was made but also like see the um message it had because originally I I'll be honest, I didn't give a shit about, like, the human segments. I just cared about, like, like the monster just blowing shit up. But as a much more older person, I can see, like, this is a message about war, about, like, nuclear war and, like, the damage it can do. Because now the creature was actually supposed to represent, uh, he's supposed to be a symbol of nuclear war, especially for the bombs that happened in Japan back in World War II. So, yeah, you when you get older, like, you see more things in a film, but also, like, have the message for it, especially if it's a film that you remember being it being ridiculous or like it looking so cartoonish childish but it has such a deep meaning to it like one film i could think of was um chicken run made by Ardman studios and you're thinking well this is a film about like just chickens but in a when you get older you kind of see it now and you're just like this is pain like this is kind of symbolizing like um concentration camps and if you look back to like pictures of it of the set or like the whole film's theme in general, you're just like, wow, this is actually based on concentration camps. So it's just like you get older and you see things to a much different point of view, really. But also, you see it as like your past self, but like more aware. So it's really good, honestly, really, to have that type of thinking to see a film now. Um, there's two questions I want to ask you about the film. So the first one is. If this film were to ever be remade now, right, and we all know it's going to be probably CGI, everything, every segment, whatever, even the, I can only imagine the opening, but, like, if this movie were to be remade, right, but still have the narration, the the tone, of, if you will, of Twilight Zone, do you think it will have a much bigger impact to audience members today than how it was now to people who grew up with the show but also saw it at like during the 80s, 90s, 70s, do you think it would have a, an impact now, especially with this generation of filmmakers who are much more more digital, but also like more enhanced with films, like films like Boonlight, Arrival, and uh, um, all these films, especially from like now, really, like do you think it would capture or have a huge impact to the generation of filmmakers or audience members today? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so just so you know, I have to go pretty soon. My uh, uh, my husband and my daughter are coming home soon, but I do want to answer your question. Uh, I think it still would be st- super, still super impactful. I mean, they're going to remake uh, the Twilight Zone series on CBS All Access, um, the, so the show is still really relevant. I think they're. I think right now we're in an age that feels like we're in the Twilight Zone for so many reasons. But I just think that um, there's always room to put in a film or a TV series like this where you can put in all you know social commentary and um and just horrors just and science fiction are are really uh uh current now and contemporary so i i think definitely i think that it could be even maybe even more successful than it was in 83 when this movie came out all right Adam? yeah yeah i um i think in many ways it has been remade there have been numerous anthology movies um mostly horror but there have been a number of them where they give multiple directors a chance to tell a short story, a short tale, um, which all have sort of drawn inspiration from The Twilight Zone, which is really the sort of grandfather of this type of storytelling in many respects. So, yeah, and I mean, there was, there was an 80s Twilight Zone series that came after this movie, there was so, and which I've actually uh, haven't seen one day, maybe I'll catch up on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think my main hope is if they do another feature film, my hope is that they will hire four great, uh, talented directors with original, unique voices to tell four of their own Twilight Zone stories. Things yeah, I like that, that. Their own unique stories, and that's hopefully what the new CBS story will be. Series will be. It will be new episodes, um, original scripts from current science fiction writers. I mean, the great thing about the original series was that it was, they were pulling from some of the greatest science fiction minds of that era, mm-hmm. Richard Matheson and so on. He actually, I think, wrote- He's 16 episodes? Um, three of the, <laughs> yeah, and, and of those, two or three of them were ones in mm-hmm. this film, you know? <laughs> so it's, um, it, you know, they, there are people writing today, there are science fiction writers today that um, they could pull from and have them write episodes. So I just think that that was the main, for me, mistake that they made with this film is thinking they had to reimagine classic episodes. Whereas I personally would have loved to have seen new ones for unique yeah. original. Yeah, and stories. Black Mirror's yeah. out now. I mean, that's very Twilight Zone. Yeah, um, inspired yes. by. I love that show. Um, and the, yeah. the I still I still I have the first season of the '80s. Um, shows on DVD um, mostly because yeah. one of my favorite episodes ever is this one where this little girl takes her parents to the zoo and then what you find out is all the all the zoo, everybody at the zoo is parents of past kids so uh, she's really taking her parents to the zoo and then they're going to be um, pe- uh, like animals to be looked at and then she finds new parents it's really I remember being it. like so traumatized by <laughs> that when I was a kid but um, I own it just because it's a great episode it was so original yeah oh my gosh I can um, I can see Del Toro making like a movie of the Twilight Zone based on like his creation, like Shape of Water, and the imagination he has. I can I can see that. The second question I wanted to ask is um, like I'll, I'll keep it short, but like if you had to add in a story from the Twilight Zone series to the movie, right? Like if you wanted to add in the uh, the segment of the man who broke his glasses, like what story to the movie? What story would you add in? Monsters Do on Maple Street would be a great one. 
Yeah. yeah. And so with that, the yeah. shelter, those are so similar. Those would be, I think those are yeah. sort of timeless and I feel like they could happen now. Yeah. Those, <laughs> yeah. And they were both sort of products of the time, you know, with our sort of, with the red scare and the nuclear, the fear of nuclear Holocaust. But I, I think we're living in a time, as you said, Becky, that we're just as afraid, but just of different things now. So yeah, it, it, yeah, those are great. I, I also, there's a, there's one episode that I always, I really loved as a kid called Midnight Sun which I think could could be an interesting. It's a great twist ending about a character um, who is basically the world. It, we're living in a world where it's it's um, it's unbelievably hot, where the the Earth is moving towards the sun slowly. So there's no water, and people have you know deserted the cities, and everyone's just sweating, and and it's just horrible. Um, and you know that eventually the Earth is going to get too close, and everyone's going to die. Um, but then the main character wakes up. She's had a she's had, she's a horrible fever. This is like a fever dream. But really, the Earth is moving away from the sun, and it's freezing outside. And eventually, it's going to get so far away from the sun that you know everyone's going to die. Um, the Earth, the temperatures will drop. And it's just something that it haunted me yeah. as a kid, and I still just find it to be a really, a really powerful episode. And with you know, if done well, if done correctly, I think it could translate. You know, into a bigger yeah. film, um, and I think a lot of filmmakers are doing. I mean, er, the early films. I said this on our on our Twilight Zone episode on Wrong Real, but the early films of M Night Shyamalan were very much big budget Twilight Zone. You know, um, episodes from The Sixth Sense, even Unbreakable, and and um, and Signs. They all very much were about the, the sort of the twist ending and had having that kind of sci-fi or supernatural element to them. So I think that. Um, a lot of people have made careers out of the, you know, what they learned from watching Twilight Zone yeah. in their in their youth. You can see the inspiration to do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, that pretty much wraps up. Yeah. I mean, the idea. Thanks for having us on, I'm Ian. This was fun. Yeah, I'm so yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy to have both of you on the show. Um, is there um, for audience members? Is there a way that they can contact you, like through social media? that you would like to share? Sure, I mean, you can, I'm always on Twitter, so you can, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hollywood Minotaur, that's Hwood Minotaur, and uh, yeah, feel free to tweet me whenever, and I love talking about Twilight Zone, and and meeting people like Ian, so it's great, and then I also work at Sony Pictures, so um, if you, um, actually, we don't have a a release that's coming out very, very soon, but I think our, the release, the release that's coming out the soonest is Superfly, which comes out June fifteenth, and then we have Sicario uh, two, which comes out July. I mean June 29th. So I just wanted to promote those films. Yeah, I I just watched a, a Sony picture. Um, I think it was direct to VOD called Proud oh, Mary. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was fun. It's yeah, genre and though. entertaining. Yeah it, cool. yeah, it was a good yeah. midnight movie. Yeah, I watched it late one yet? night. You know. Oh my I God. did finally. We have yes, to talk about that. I, gotta, I, I gotta see it. I gotta, I gotta really funny. It. I, yeah, I didn't get to see it. Yeah, I saw Pacific Rim recently and um, Wes Anderson's latest film, Isle of Dogs. Oh yeah, we talked a little bit that on Twitter. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, yeah. and Adam, what about? Oh yeah, you didn't yes. tell us how to find yeah. you because everybody wants to find you. Uh, oh yes, I'm. <laughs> I'm on Twitter as well, at Adam Rakoff, um, and that's my only real social media presence. I never. I never um, signed up for Facebook or Instagram, which now with what's happening, I'm sort of glad I did. <laughs> you're so, the only, you're going to be the only one, um, the only survival, yeah. survivor now. 
Right. It's gonna be basically the new mice. It's gonna be the new MySpace, basically. Yeah, I, I, I my parano- paranoia was right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, um, I don't really use Facebook that much. I don't even really like it that much. I just like post like random things because people are like, "Oh, Facebook is the top daddy of all social media." Now I'm just like, that. That's it. Like it's kind of like a Pulp Fiction moment for me where i'm just like so confused and like what was all the well, hype and what a lot of, a lot of people don't even realize is that it, even if they're not on facebook but if they're on instagram it's the same thing yeah. they're both owned by this by facebook so the same data is being mined from your photographs and they're using that you know to sell and make money yeah. uh, off of you so i mean they can scan the, the the contents of every photograph that you post to instagram can tell them so much about you, your your shopping preferences, where you go, when, you know, all this kind of stuff. We're living so, in the twilight zone right now. Yeah, that's well. Becky said it earlier. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like we are. We are living between you know, the, you know, the issues going on in our our government and everything else. I think we are. It, it just to me, it, it says a lot about the fact that. We were there were so many people for so many years terrified that the government was stealing all of our information and, and keeping tabs yeah. on us and maybe they are as well mm. but really it's private corporations right now that where we have been volunteering all of this information and handing it over to them on a silver platter uh, and they're making billions off of us off of our our information and that's something I've been saying for a long time and and most people I guess were just willing to make that yeah. sacrifice mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can yeah. keep in touch with their friends and family. Thanks so. for us making us feel stupid. That, Adam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, it, listen, you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and We're I was worried. right. Um, uh, no, yeah. no, it's, uh, so, yeah, it's a little we, scary. We are living now, in the twilight times. zone now. Well, thanks, Ian. Not everybody, though. Yeah, not everybody gives away mu- as much about themselves as, you know, as, as Becky Deanna does. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have both of you on the show again. I'm happy that both of you were able to come to the show. Um, really two great people I've met on social media. Um, but yeah, so that pretty much wraps up the Twilight Zone fan club today. Aw, uh, I like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I tweeted to, like, I think I tweeted to Becky, like, oh, Twilight Zone twin. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. Is, is there a word for Twilight Zone fans? You know, Trekkers, Trekkies. I don't know, there should be Zoneheads. Like, tw- I don't know. I'm sure there is. Zoners, Zone, zoners yeah. <laughs> that will have two meanings now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to have both of you on the show. Um, this has been an, another episode of Film Universe. Um, and maybe the two of you can be on another episode in the future. Um, I'm happy to have both of you again on the show. Thanks. Uh, Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm your host Ian Vega and I'm, this has been an episode of Film Universe. Thank you for listening. Adam Rakoff and Becky Deanna have drifted away from the film universe. The question next is what or who will be next in line to enter the dimension of imagination, unspeakable truths, and most importantly, timeless. It is a dimension that can be forgotten, that not even the oldest soul can forget it. A baby will never forget it, but will always remember it. It is a dimension that can never be described, and that is the film universe.